We are continuing in our series that we kicked off last week that's called I Am In. And last week we talked about the fact that we are invited, that we're invited to be part of the family of God. And that is an amazing, incredible invitation. This week we're getting into a topic where I know that even as I kick off this statement, so many people will hear it and they'll push back against it saying, well, you don't know me. And the statement is, I am invaluable to God's work. Because when we hear the concept that I'm invaluable to God's work, and invaluable, just so we have clarity, it doesn't mean not valuable. It means so valuable that you can't put a price on it. That that its worth is so high that, that you can't say this is how much it's worth because it's invaluable. And we are invaluable to God's work and that's what we're going to study, and you're going to see from Scripture today. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along in things. But I know so often when we hear that, it's like, well, you don't know my past. You don't, you don't know my present. You don't know what the last seven days have been like. Well, I want to tell you, you're still invaluable to God's work. You just have been missing out on the opportunity that He has presented to you. Because if you think that God is not interested in you because of what you've done, if you think that Jesus would not invite you in, then I'm afraid that you just don't know the heart of Christ yet. Because when you look at how he lived and you look at the things that he said, it was, I mean, in Luke 19.10, he threw out just what would be known as his purpose statement. He said the reason the Son of Man, the reason that Jesus came to earth was to seek after and to save those who are lost. Jesus, his heart is turned towards those who have messed up to change the direction their life is going, and to put them on purpose. And when you look at his teachings, his parables were so often about things that were lost and how they need to come back home. He, he told a parable about a shepherd who had 100 sheep and one of them got lost. And the shepherd could have been like, well, I have 99 others. I'm good. I'm set. That other one was stupid. It went off on its own. Just let natural selection kind of run its course. I don't need that one. I've got 99. But Jesus said, no, the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go search after the one. When there's a lost coin, you turn the, in the house that's of value, you turn the house upside down and finding it until you find it. If a son has messed up and he's lost, the father is running to meet him. Jesus' heart towards the people who have been going the wrong direction has always been to draw them back into home. And I'm going to tell you, it's an incredible feeling to get back home. It's an incredible feeling to feel like, God, his love for me that I've been running from, it's right here. I've received it. I've been forgiven. I know the way my heavenly father feels about me. That's a great sense to have. But you are shortchanging yourself. If your relationship with God is limited to and stops at the point where you say, I am received as a son. And and so now I just, I'm in a family and I just sit around and I'm I'm just on the couch with the family. I mean, it's a great thing to realize that you're in the family, but God has so much more for you than just being around on the edges of the church, knowing that you can be here. He has purpose. He has mission for you. He presents opportunities that you will either choose to ignore or grab a hold of. And I'm going to tell you, God has individually gifted you, you specifically. He has given you an individual gift and ability that no one else in this church has. And I can say that with confidence without us having had a conversation about it because that is how Scripture describes it. And we're going to look and we're going to start just with the term of of the picture that the Apostle Paul uses to define and guide the church. Because he's writing to this church 
in a, in a city called Corinth. And Corinth was a major, major city of its time. It, it was a city that had an incredible amount of wealth. And like most places where wealth goes, corruption follows. I mean, people jockey to get a hold of it. And one of the things that Corinth was known for was for the, the trade and abuse of people as well. I mean, it was almost considered like a religious thing to do to try to pe- push people into prostitution within the confines of the temple. Like, they considered that, and it was so, Corinth was so known for it that the term Corinthizing someone, uh, of having someone be sold into that line of work, it, it, it became something that was used to describe selling someone. I mean, that's how bad the city was. And there's this incredible gap, this incredible amount of slaves, incredible amount of wealthy, incredible amount of people who were trafficked and abused, and this is what made up the city. And so for, for a church to take hold in that city, one of the first churches to happen there, you had this incredible mix of, of social position, of races, all within the church. And as you'd expect, when you get in the room and, and there's someone who is ultra wealthy and someone who is still considered a slave and someone who newly have been freed from slavery and someone who was abused by other people for money, when you put them all in a room, you've got to imagine just the difficulty that would be there in figuring out, okay, how do we relate to each other? How do we serve along each other? How do we treat each other? I mean, there's difficulty there. And and Paul had to write to them and correct lots of different things. I mean, one of the things is there was sin that was happening in the church and they're just kind of sweeping it under the rug and calling it grace. And he'd say, no, when, when when there's sin like that in the church, it has to be dealt with. And grace is dealing with it in the proper way. It's allowing forgiveness, but grace is not just ignoring sin. He had to deal with lots of things and one of the, the things that was affecting their unity is some of them saw each other as, I don't have a role to play in the church. I'm not as important. I, I don't have finances, and so I, I, I can't help feed people the way that they do. I, I, I don't speak like that person does, and so my role isn't important. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this incredibly diverse and incredibly difficult church, and he's trying to clear some of these things up. So that, that's where we kind of enter into the situation where he's writing, And he begins to say, this is how I want you guys to see yourselves defined as a group. And it's true, we know, okay, an individual has one name, but a group of something always has another. And to just kind of, for a fun way, we're going to have a little trivia moment for you here. Okay, we have a picture of an elephant. Let's put this picture of an elephant on the screen. What do you call a group of elephants? Do you know? A herd, that's correct, that's good. If you were here in first service, you don't get to look all smart and Throw out the answers for the hard ones, all right? You, you, you get to be quiet. All right, um, lion. What's a group of lions called? Pride. Pride, that's right. They didn't even need the picture. All right, go to the cheetahs. I did not know this one. I found this one very interesting. Go to the picture of the cheetahs. What's a group of cheetahs called? Any? Huh? Close, close. Those are good guesses. A coalition of cheetahs. A coalition. Not, 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 not cheetos of cheetah, but a coalition. Um, all right, this next one, the donkeys. Watch your mouth in church now. Watch your mouth. All right. What do you call a group of donkeys? Do you got it? A pace. A pace of donkeys. Pretty, pretty close. Pretty good. All right. This one, I know some people know this one because it's an interesting one. What about a crow? When you have a group of crows, what is a group of crows called? A murder. A murder. Don't they sound so scary and nefarious? It's a murder of crows. And you're going to love this last one. A group of vultures. What do you call a group of vultures? I heard some answers. I don't know if I heard the right one yet. 
a committee. It's a committee of vultures. Isn't that the truth, right? We know. Anyone who served on a committee knows that. And we, we know uh, an individual who has placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ is a Christian, is a Christ follower, is a disciple. A group of them, a group of them, there's a couple terms. There's, there's saints. There's ecclesia is a word that the Greek uses, which means the gathering of believers. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul introduces this other word picture that he wants us to grab a hold of. And he says, the body of Christ. He says, you guys together, when you're together, you are the body of Christ. I mean, it was this as if Christ was there. As if Christ was there. The things that he was saying, that's what's going to come from you. The things that his hands would have been doing, that's what's going to move through you. The way that his feet moved him to other places to share the good news, that's what you're going to do. And you guys together are going to operate, and you're going to be the body of Christ. You're going to be what lives out the mission of Christ in your city. And then he, he, he pulls it to, to, okay, so that's what we're going to be corporately, but then he brings it to this individual level in verse 12, and we'll put this up on the screen. In verse 12, it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And he introduces this idea that there's individual ones of you, that, that each one of you are there, but you guys have to operate in a way that it's as if you're one body working on one purpose. And I, I want to just start with this concept. And I, I started the message with, with the statement that you're invaluable to God's work. And one of the reasons that you're invaluable is because you play a very specific role. You have a part to play. And within the body of Christ, every part of the body matters. Every part of the body matters. We know that there's pieces of our body that we just generally don't think about very much, like our pinky toe. We don't sit around thinking about our pinky toe. Some of you guys are wiggling your pinky toe right now because you're like, yep, it's still there. But when you kick that pinky toe on something, like, I mean, like the time where you like cracked the nail, you kicked it on something, you're very reminded that that pinky toe is there. Every step you take, it's there. You realize how much I use this, and I don't even think about it being there until it's wounded. And if you tried to like walk down a hill without any toes, you'd suddenly be like, this is not a good thing, because you wouldn't be able to stabilize yourself, and you would be sliding down that hill on your face. Like There's things that are part of our body that we just generally don't think of, because as it's doing our job, we don't miss it. But suddenly when it's damaged, suddenly when it's missing, we recognize the importance and the power of that part. And within the church, there are certain parts that, that we can just tend to feel like, oh, I'm just not as important as the other pieces. I'm not as in front, and so I just don't matter, and no one will notice if I'm gone. And every single part, every single part of the body of Christ is needed and it matters. And when that piece is missing, it's one of the reasons why churches get so weird and awkward sometimes. And it just seems like they don't know what they're doing. And we've had seasons where it's like we weren't moving the way that we should have moved as a church because there were pieces that weren't fulfilling their role. And I want to say within the church, I believe all of the pieces that we need to be successful right now are present in the church. But the problem is, there's these opportunities that God's giving us to serve and, and use the gifts and the resources that he's entrusted us with but we're not grabbing those opportunities. There's people in here who are called to action who are just stuck in inaction, who, who aren't working, who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And part of the reason I think they're there is not because they, they realize, but they just think, oh, what, I'm, what I would do is not that important. 
What would it matter if I served in the kids' ministry or if I served in the youth ministry? What would it matter if I gave the little bit that I could give or if I welcomed outside? What would it matter? There's other people who are better than I am at this. And so you are individually gifted. You are specifically called. You are meant to be part of the body. And one, one part is missing is what Paul says. All the parts suffer. And all the parts are important. In verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll put this on the screen, it says, if the foot says I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, which is a really weird thing to try to visualize, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Now, now it's just this truth. Like We understand within the body, we need all of the pieces that are here to do what we need to do. Within the church, we need everyone who is part of this community to use the gift that God has placed in them so that we can be moving and growing as a church. And, and, and there's other pieces of why that I'm going to get to in a minute. But as I said, that is, as I said, each one of you guys have a gift. I know some people are like, ah, I don't have a gift. Well, I, I don't have to argue with you. I'm going to let God argue with you. All right. Verse 7 of this same chapter, and I'm going to read it in two different translations because the two different translations help round out the picture that the Greek word really gives to us. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Not any lack of clarity in that. Each person who is a believer in Christ, at that moment where you believe, God shows up, he forgives, he begins this work of healing and restoration in your life, and he puts the Holy Spirit in your life so that you know, so that you know he is with you. And at that moment, he instills a gift inside of you. And I don't have to argue with you about it because you have to argue with scripture, argue with God, I promise you won't win. But this is what it says. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. But the Greek word of this gift, the spiritual gift, it's so much cooler than just a spiritual gift. The NIV helps round it out well. We'll go and put the NIV. Now to each one of us, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Now, First of all, the reason that you're getting this gift, the reason that you're supposed to serve, the reason you're supposed to be engaged is not for yourself, not for lifting up yourself, not for your ego, not for your pride, not for your finances, not for any of that. It's for other people. And that's one of the ways that we see, okay, this is a spiritual gift. They're using it to serve other people. But the interesting thing is that it's a manifestation of the spirit. A spiritual gift is a recognition, this does not come from me. And, and th this is why it's so important to be serving. Because when you use that gift, it's this manifestation of the Holy Spirit where you recognize that time where I gave my heart to God, where, where I felt the call, where the Father was drawing me, and I said, yes, I'm in. I want your forgiveness. I want the new life that is only found in Christ. You're given this gift, and then each time you use it, you sense and experience this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's that same feeling of that moment where you first came to salvation, where you recognize God is true. God is real. God is at, is at work. And we have often fallen back into this boring spectator sport Christianity where we feel like, oh, there's just nothing much to this. Like I come and I sit and I listen. And the reason you don't feel like there's anything much to it is because you're not serving, you're not engaging, you're not taking risks in your faith. Because when we do that and we're using the spiritual gift that God has given us, we have that moment where we feel, okay, the Holy Spirit is at work here. This is incredible. And that's what builds our faith. And I'm going to tell you, your city, your community, your church, your family needs to see you using your spiritual gift. They need it, but you need it even more than that. Because every time that you're using it, you sense that reaffirmation that God is doing something. God is able. God is at work. And you need that in your faith. You need that. I, I remember 
when I was still a new Christian and, and I had gone to help and, and I felt totally out of my league. I got invited to go help be a camp counselor for a weekend. And I was in my first year of Bible college, but I had only been a Christian for, for almost two years. And I was like, I don't think I can guide anyone through anything yet. But they said, well, we just need someone who can, you know, have a heartbeat and be there and make sure kids don't jump off. Okay, I can do that. Um, and so I go, and we're having a Bible study, and then all of a sudden it was like the, the, the scriptures that I had studied on my own that I had not memorized, but I had read them. It was like God just brought them to my head and my heart in a moment, and it's like I, I said them to the kids, and God's spirit moved on some of those students, and they came to Christ, and it was this incredible moment. And it was one of the first times I got to lead like a, a couple different people to Christ all in one setting. And I knew it wasn't me. And, and I knew, oh my gosh, like God just showed up. That was the coolest thing. I had an hour ride back from Dahlonega, Georgia, back to Tacoa, Georgia, where I was going to school. The radio was off the whole time. I was just like freaking out. Like, that was so cool. Like, God is so faithful. Like, he does what he says he's going to do. And I felt so overstretched to step into that moment. But it just so reaffirmed my calling. It reaffirmed the things that Scripture taught me. And it reaffirmed this truth that when we use the gift that God has put inside of us, it encourages our heart. And, and it helps strengthen me for the things that were ahead. But man, all of that strength kind of came out of a moment of stepping into something that I felt like I wasn't strong enough for. All of that came out of a moment where I, I don't think I could pull this off. And God says, that's exactly what I want, because then I can show off my strength. When, you, when you're weak, I'm going to show myself strong. When, when the glory goes to me instead of you, that's where you're going to see me at work. And it so encourages our heart when we see that happen. Um, but when you don't do it, you don't get to feel it. When you don't try, you don't get the experience. And everything from serving to giving to speaking and sharing and inviting, all of these steps of faith, these opportunities that God presents to us on a daily basis throughout our week, the more that we take risks for His kingdom, the more that we see His faithfulness, the more that we are just absolutely sure my Heavenly Father is engaged and involved in my life. And it just builds upon itself. It builds and builds up. And it rescues us from this boring Christianity that never does anything, never changes anything. It feels like, ah, I just have to go to church because that's what you do. No, I go to church because I have a spiritual gift that when I am there, I am able to use it to encourage someone else. And I get to see God lift up their heart. And when God is lifting up their heart, He's lifting up my heart. And that's what we want. That's what we want. But man, we are afraid to step into that moment. And I just want to encourage you for, for other people, for selfish reasons for yourself of wanting to see God move, step into that moment. God is going to be faithful. He's going to show up. And we are called to, to do these things for each other, to move. And, and, and I think this is the hesitation. It's like, well, my gift is just so, it's not like you, Paul. Like, I'm not teaching Bible studies. I'm not teaching from up front. Each gift has an important role to play. And in fact, some of the ones that are the least noticeable are actually the most important is what Scripture says. In verse 22 of this chapter, the Apostle Paul writes, and I'll put this up on the screen, it says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. It's easy to look and say, okay, the important job is up here speaking, but you know what? Matt hits mute on the microphone. I'm not speaking to many people anymore. <laughs> Um, his job is incredibly important. Uh, the, the people who set up, their job is incredibly important. Most of you guys don't even know who that is that sets up. But their job is, is crucial. We have prayer warriors within our congregation that, that from day one of them being engaged in this church, they have prayed for our congregation, for, for our pastor, for our staff, for our finances. 
And I don't believe that we would have seen God do an inch of what he has done if it weren't for those prayers. And you, you won't know who those people are this side of heaven and how significant their contribution was. Uh, people who give. So many people who, who I, I know that they've worked through the thing of, you know, it's just a small amount, but I'm going to tell you, being faithful in that, God uses that in incredible ways. All of the ways that, that we are engaged in saying yes to what God would ask us to do, it blesses the church. And I'm going to tell you, God, I, I don't believe that God is going to entrust great resources to a church that has one person who's like, yeah, I'll drop you know, $4 million so that you guys can have land and building. God's not going to entrust something great to us because of one person. God is going to entrust great things to us when we have a group of people who say, I'm just committed to say yes to whatever God asks in the season Whatever that is between me and him, he's always going to get a yes. And when we have a strong group of people who are doing that, I believe that's when God's going to entrust us with even greater things. And it dials back down to just that individual level of are we saying yes to God? Are we, are we being faithful what he has entrusted with us, the gift that he's entrusted with us? Last week I, I, I talked about, the, re, the actually no, it wasn't last week, it was yesterday. I was speaking someone else, somewhere else yesterday. Um, the, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, and he reminds him, he says, we prayed for you, and when we prayed for you, there was a spiritual gift that was given to you, and you need to fan that gift into flame, and there's this concept that that gift that you have will die out if you don't use it. It will get weaker if you don't use it. We have a gift. We ha- have to be using it. We have to be actively using it for other people. And in verse 27, I mean, he just tries to hit the nail and drive it the rest of the way in and, and reaffirm to these people who-, who are thinking, maybe I'm not as important. And he said, all of you together, all of you, are t- all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. You have this incredibly important part to play. And I want to recognize that we often have people come into our church who got hurt at another church, who got hurt by a leader or a figure that should have been safe, and, and so they come in wounded. And, I mean, it, I'm going to compare it to, this is my sling from 2016, um, when I got to have shul- shoulder surgery, and it was so much fun. Um, yeah, actually the worst part of it for me was a- after... The surgery, I mean, they did what's called a nerve block on my shoulder. And it just meant for a couple days afterwards, like, my arm was just dead weight. Like, I mean, I could sit there and, like, flick my fingers and, like, I couldn't feel anything. And that was, honestly, I think the worst part of the whole experience for me was just waiting for feeling to come back. I literally got to the point where I was like, I can understand, like, I couldn't understand before if someone had an arm that wouldn't work, why they would ever want to amputate it off. But I was like, I could understand just wanting to get rid of that thing when it's not moving because it's, it's just... It's frustrating. It's like, I know I should be able to do something with this, but it's not. And I understand some people come in to church, and it's almost like, you know, their arm is in this thing. Like, I got hurt. I need to heal. I can't move right now. Like, I can't do that. But there reaches a certain point in your healing where, you know, things start to come back to life, and feeling comes back to life, where if you actually want this to get better, you can't just stay immobilized. There's a certain point where they will put you in physical therapy and they will say, okay, it's time to move that thing. You're like, well, it might hurt to move it a little bit. And they're like, yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit to move it. But this is what we got to do to get it stronger because you're never going to get stronger keeping it immobilized. It might be a little bit comfortable right now, but it's going to be more comfortable in the long run if you go through a little bit of discomfort and just getting started. And if you're one of those people who've come in, I'm fine with you taking some time to heal, but I want to say that part of your healing process is going to be a point where you say, okay, for a little bit, I've got, to t- I, I've got to come out of immobilization. 
Like for a little bit, I've, I've got to do a little bit of something. And, and that, that concept that I started with towards the beginning of saying, it's like when I serve, it helps someone else and it helps me, it's true. Like part of your recovery is going to begin to serve again, begin to use the gifts, begin to fan back into flame those gifts that God has poured into your heart because you have a purpose. We, we talk about our purpose as a church this way. We say Gulfside Church exists to help people know God, find community, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And there is within you a gift. There is within you a calling and a purpose, and you should be grabbing a hold of those things to make a difference in our city. Band, if you guys will begin to make your way up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this thing up. You have to determine and decide, because I understand it is so much safer to just stay immobilized and stay on the sidelines. It, it looks like things are running pretty well around here without me. Like, I think I, they would have to teach me how to do stuff. Like, it's just easier if I stay on the sideline. It might be easier for you, but it's not better for you, and it's not better for the church for you to stay on the sidelines. And the thing that I want for you is I, I want you to live your life in a way that you, when someone asks you about God, you say, you know what, I know God is real, not just because of the intellectual argument that I can have with you about the very existence of matter in the universe, but I know God is real because each week I see these opportunities where, where I get to serve and I see him do something and I sense him at work in it. And so for me, it's not a question. Like, like it, it's, it's a weekly thing. It's a daily thing where I sense his presence. And I want your relationship in your life to be so soaked up by the activity of the Spirit of God that you walk in confidence. And not just confidence that you're right, but confidence that you're loved. That you're in God's family. That you're invaluable to His work. Uh, I'm so, so proud of one of the guys in our congregation. He just celebrated two years of sobriety. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you see him, like he's with his kids that he, he lost. He's with his wife that he lost. He's got it all back, and God has gotten him there. And I want to tell you, I'm tremendously proud of him, but I'm tremendously thankful for you as a church because you guys helped love him there. When he came in, he was welcomed, he was greeted, he felt at home, he felt safe here. He was allowed to be who he was when he walked in. And God has grown him into something completely different than what he was. But none of that would have happened. Gulfside wouldn't have been the place that it needed to be if there wasn't people like you who stepped into using their gifts. And everywhere from our kids' ministry to our youth ministry, to welcoming and greeting and serving and set up and prayer and giving. I need you. No, no. You need you to ask God, what am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be serving? And as you do that, God's going to call you. He's going to build you up and he's going to use you to make a difference. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. I have a role I'm going to fulfill it, and we're going to get to see God do great things. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you were the embodiment, the perfect picture of love as you walked through this earth, and then we have the privilege together as being called Christ's body here in Cape Coral. Help us to walk in a way that honors you, and as you put it on our heart to serve, to give, 
to be engaged in our community, in our city, to be leading in our families. Help us to take that step of courage forward into that unknown space so that we can see you work, so that our faith can be built up, and so that others can be encouraged and impacted because of what you're doing. We thank you for your incredible love. We thank you that we are invited into your family, and we are honored that we get to be part of your work. In Jesus' name.